you've got a Bible, if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Thank you, Joshua. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Actually, before we, while you're turning there, during worship I, I was reminded of a, um, my brother and I, when we were kids, we, our first job we ever had was picking up macadamia nuts. And we would get off the bus, and it was about a 10-minute walk from the macadamia nut farm to my house. And we would get off the bus, and we would go into the macadamia nut farm and on our hands and knees with shirts tied around our knees so that they didn't get torn up. We would pick up macadamia nuts. And the reason my brother and I picked up macadamia nuts every day, every afternoon, without fail, was because we wanted to buy a Nintendo. I think it was a DS, the one with the little screen on it. It was a DS, wasn't it? We, had our, we were, had our hearts set on this Nintendo DS. We were so set that mum used to ring the, our boss, who was my stepdad's cousin. She would ring and get up us because we would lose track of time and well into the night we would pick up macadamia nuts. We got a dollar fifty. I sound like I'm really old. I'm not. I think he was just stingy. We got a dollar fifty per five-litre bucket of macadamia nuts. And my brother and I picked up. We worked for about five weeks straight. And in the end, the guy felt so bad for us because we'd only worked up like $60 each that he felt so bad that we had worked so hard that he gave us enough money to buy the Nintendo DS. And the reason I, I think God was showing me this during worship is we were dedicated, we were desperate for this thing, that we would work day in, day out. I remember waking up from school one day and my brother and I were just ruined. We got home, we worked all day and well into the night picking up macadamia nuts with a little torch on our head because we wanted this thing. We were absolutely dedicated and desperate to get this thing. And just while we were singing that song, you know, it's so easy for us to sing a song in worship, Lord, I'm desperate for you. To sing a song like, I'll stand with my arms, my heart abandoned. What does it mean for us to have our heart abandoned as a people for God? What does it mean for us to really be desperate for him? You know, I've always loved in the Christian world where people will take something and say, well, I'm going to fast and they'll change from food to something else, which is fine. But the reason fasting food is so hard, because it's about day two to day three, you, your whole life changes. You become so focused on a sandwich that it almost kills you. You are Everything in your body hurts on day two. Day four and five get a little easier. But the reason food is something that we fast is because to go without it drastically changes our world. To be desperate for God means that everything in me is changed. Everything in me is not as it should be. I, I, I need this. I don't know if you've ever been extraordinarily thirsty, but that you can almost smell water. That's how thirsty you are. That's what we need to be. So, a people so hungry, so sold out, that we, we want nothing more than to be in God's presence. I'm going to continue today in Thessalonians because I feel God is still leading us into what Paul wrote to the church in, in Thessalonica. And I feel that there is, there is so much in this, in this letter that he wrote for us that, that I want to stay here for a little bit longer. But there's this understanding that what was taking place in the, in the church when Paul writes to the Thessalonians was there was this wrestle between paganism, between the world and between what God had for the people. There was this, this 
almost this tussle for the heart. Where was my heart focused? Where was my, 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 my body leading? And I, and I spoke yesterday, that, uh, sorry, not yesterday, last week, that Paul was writing them to them to, to tell them to keep their focus, keep them, themselves looking. And I want to continue on from 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, rather. It says this, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kinds of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I love what Paul does in this because he, he, he encourages them, but there's also in amongst his encouragement is a challenge for them to stay the course. And I feel like for us as a people, there is this encouragement that many of us in this room have been in church a very long time. We've seen all there is to see just about. We've, we've heard all there is to hear. And I feel in this moment that Paul is almost writing to us to say, remember him before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that he calls it a labor of love because I tell you, being in the church and in, in, in amongst Christians can sometimes be a drain on, and, a, and a challenge for who we are. But Paul, Paul says to them, this is a labor of love. This is something that you have, have loved to be doing. But he says, I remember you before our God and Father for your work and faith and your labor of love. The steadfastness. We have to be a people as we continue to move forward to be steadfast in our hope for Christ. We can walk, we can walk through this world and look at all the troubling things that are out there, the, the news and the, the, the pain and struggles that are around us. But if we don't have a steadfastness of hope in Christ, we are lost in this world. We become like everybody else. We hold on to anything and everything because we've misunderstood what our hope is in Christ. Dave Bashi preached a few weeks before Christmas about keeping the, the oil in our lantern. That is what this is talking about, that steadfastness. To, uh, to keep your eyes on him, regardless of what our situation mean, sorry, regardless of what our, our situation is before us, to keep steadfast hope in Christ. That can be difficult when the walls around you are closing in. That can be difficult when things are turning on us. But to, to be steadfast means to have a firm belief or determination or adherence to something. For us, it's to someone. A firm belief, a determination and an adherence to Christ. Paul continues on. He says, God has chosen you. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Before the service, we were praying and Brad was talking about the, the reminder of who 
God is in us, that he knows us. He doesn't know us collectively. I always feel that there's this challenge in the Christian world when we say, I was saved by God in the collective and I was the small guy at the back. But that's not how Christ sees us. He sees you individually. He sees your call. He sees your purpose. You are not a nobody to him. You're not outdated. You're not too old. You haven't come too far or not come far enough. God sees every single one of us individually. And I think for us to think about that is scary because we think about the bad stuff we've done. And God sees that. Yes, he sees that. But that's not what he's focused on. With a, when you have a child and you're looking at their life, you're not focusing on the things that are going wrong. You're pulling them into the things that they're doing right. You're pulling them into who they are. We had, God addresses the things we do wrong in us. But he knows us personally to, to call us and to walk with us. During worship, I was just praying and, and, and thanking God. And I, there's this revelation that hit me that, that God not only created our life and planned it out for us, he also decided to come alongside and to walk it out with us. What a frustrating thing to be able to see Ben's future and me going, Lord, I don't know where I'm going. And God going, I know where you're going. I can see it. I know where you're going. I can see it. But we get, we get frustrated, we get scared, and we, we look somewhere else. But God is saying, I know where you're going because I created it. God sees every one of us. He sees who you are and he sees your potential. You're not a nobody. But the person who disqualifies us is us. I disqualify myself well before anybody else does. But God is saying, I know you. I've chosen you for such a time as this. Paul continues on and he asks them to be imitators of him. Be imitators of him. You know, I find it such a challenging word that Paul can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Because I definitely can't say that. I'm not asking you guys to follow me. Hopefully I'm pointing you to Christ and you can follow him. Because I'm not going to be good enough. But I, I, I love the challenge that Paul says, I have such a, an assurance of Christ that I know that I'm following him. But he's asking us to be a people, to be a people who those of us around us can follow. You know, when somebody looks at your life, I, I think about this a lot on the golf course. I know I've talked about this a lot, that the golf course stretches you to your absolute frustration level. I played extraordinarily well until the last hole on Friday and then put it straight in the water. There's a frustration that brings you all the way to the edge. And you know it's at that time where the people around you can either take who you are or they have to leave it behind. One of the things that has always challenged me is what comes out of our mouth and the way that we hold ourselves. And you know when we, when we get to a place, not just on the golf course, but the way we speak about things around us, the way we speak about what's coming, the way we speak about our future or our present, the way we speak about our partners or our kids, all of those things show who I am and they show what I'm made of. I've said it so many times from here and I stole it from Mike who probably stole it for somebody else. But when you squeeze an orange, apple juice doesn't come out, right? Orange juice does. What's in us comes out of us at the time we let our guard down the most. The enemy is waiting for us to, to put ourselves down that we, he can attack and move in, right? That sin crouching at the door. That when we misrepresent who we are in Christ it takes a moment for something else to slip in and that's not always a, a, a f-bomb or a s-bomb as Dave called it that's in everything the way that we speak the way that we hold ourselves God is saying uh, sorry Paul is saying be imitators 
that I preached last week about being image bearers, that that's what we're called to do from the garden. That when we speak, we are to carry the image of Christ. We are to reveal who he is, that people should look at us and not see uh, the, the pious Christian, but see the reality and truth of Jesus. That's a hard thing to do, but that's who we have to be. And see, the difficulty is when we learn how to put it on, that it's, it's who we are. We never, ever take it off. We don't put it on on Sunday morning and take it off on Sunday afternoon or vice versa for us. Because it becomes who we are. It's not something we wear. It's who we are. We've been reborn. That's what it means to be reborn. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. We stand in the new created image of Christ. And that's what we live out of. He says something really interesting in in verse 8. He says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, which is where Thessalonica was, and Achaia, which was the country below Macedonia, it was where Corinth was. He says, Not only has the word sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul encouraged the church in Thessalonica in such a way that he no longer had to go out into all the regions. He didn't have to carry the gospel there anymore. Why? Because the, the, the ministers of the gospel that he trained and equipped in that region were the ones carrying the gospel there. He's rebuking them in some sort of a way by saying, you don't need me, Paul, to come back into your city and bring the gospel. Why? Because I've already inserted it there. You already have it. See, I know almost 100% that if insert your favorite preacher, if he walked through the door today, if Todd White came through the door and you had an illness, you would ask 10 times out of 10, Todd, can you pray for me? Now look, there's nothing wrong with that. Todd carries a gift. There's no issues with that. Whether you like Todd White or not, bad luck. That's who I used. Put whoever you'd like. John Piper, MacArthur. I don't know, I'm out of (laughs) famous preachers. But whoever came through that door, see the interesting thing, they're carrying the same gospel. They come with the same Holy Spirit. They administer the same thing. They're going to tell you the same message. Paul says there's nothing new under the sun. We carry all the same. When, when Josh and Jeremy's dad, Byron, preaches tomorrow, he's pre- uh, next week, he's preaching from the same gospel. He's preaching from the same Bible. He brings a different gift, but he's bringing the same Holy Spirit. And what happens is, and what Paul is saying here, he says, I've given you the gospel. Well done, church. Well done, Thessalonians. You have gone with your faith and we no longer need to go. Wouldn't it be a phenomenal time that, that YWAM wouldn't need to run any more outreaches? That the church wouldn't need to put on any more community days? There would need no be no more conferences? Because every one of the, ch- the members of the church were equipped in such a way that their workplaces were saved. Their sporting teams were saved. There was a, a, a spread of the gospel through you and I, everyday people. We weren't waiting for church leaders. We weren't waiting for the big guy, the gospel to come. Because we, the people, have been equipped. Paul is saying, your faith in God, your faith in God, not your well-written sermons, not your gift of, of evangelism, not your gift of healing, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that I no longer need say anything. We only need to preach from a pulpit and to, and to teach one another in circles because we're not growing or going anywhere. The church for a long time has been stagnant. 
And that's all of our fault. I don't think it's the church leader's fault. I think it's all of our fault. We have to pick up the gospel. We have to pick up the gauntlet and say, Paul, like you said to the church in Macedonia, I'd like you to say, well done, because I've gone into my spheres of influence. I was so stoked. Jess didn't tell that story quite as powerfully here as she told me. The girl she prayed for is an all-out atheist. One of the girls that she got to pray for at work is attempting to make things levitate, is going to India to find herself and her spiritual being and she gave Jess a dream and and in the dream Jess was able to interpret it and tell her about Christ and that's not a well done Jess congratulations you're a superstar that's what every day for all of us should be like that's the I didn't say this to her but that's the the minuscule right the simplest myself included I I pumped got my own tires pumped up because I got to, to preach the gospel to someone who ask some of the some of the most another atheist with some of the most amazing questions and that is exciting and that is pumping us up but that is this to what paul is saying the church in thessalonia was doing that our faith in god should be so high that people say what in the world are you on where did you get this he continues on and he says Turning from idols and serving the living God. That we would turn from idols and serve the living God. I'm going to embarrass KK, but I, I quoted you in my sermon, KK. You're in my notes. Kayla and I were talking during the week, and Kayla said something that was very encouraging to me. She said, when I look at my life image, I want to see Jesus, not see me knowing that I have Jesus. In the Western church, we have used Christ as a golden ticket to heaven. And what Paul is saying is that when we turn from idols and we serve the living God, we get to see Christ in us and flowing through us, not just we have him as a sidekick that comes with us. See, the importance that when Jesus said, I want to make you one with me, is that he's not just somebody who sits in the passenger seat of the car while we drive along and he hangs out with us. He is in us. He flows through us and out of us into our spheres around us. But I loved what, what Kayla was saying. She's saying we have to change the way we look at this because it's not that, that I have Jesus. It's that Christ is in me and I in him. That is a big change from him being a ticket who sits in my back pocket or a friend that I chat to when I feel so inclined to know he is in me and flowing through me and out of me. When we truly turn ourselves and say, Lord, I want to live my life away from the, the idols that have been, and I want to turn myself back to you. We're starting to live in the empowerment and the glorification of the Holy Spirit. See, we may have turned the Holy Spirit into some kind of show pony that we, we utilize when we feel the need, but what, what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit is the presence of Yahweh God flowing in us and through us allowing us to operate not just in signs and wonders but in wisdom to understand the kingdom to to flow from that realm to take the habitual practices of our life that are no good for us and to remove them so that we can start to walk toward the things that God has for us You telling yourself that your habit and habitual practice of your choosing is okay and not an issue because the Bible doesn't specifically say it's a sin 
is the thing that keeps us stagnant as a people. See, there's a verse in the Bible that we use that says, all things are permissible, but not all things beneficial. And that is absolutely correct. God is saying all things are permissible because there's a grace that allows you to operate, but not all things will allow you to be and flow from my kingdom. See, we can live in a place where we stand and say, the Bible has allowed me to X or has allowed me to Y. But then we look at our life and we see the fruit of our life being rotten and distasteful. And the reason that this is, is such a big thing, and I see Paul challenge it the whole way through the New Testament, is because this is what disempowers the church. And the enemy is happy knowing that we can just keep doing what we want to do when missing exactly what he's calling us into. When we come to the place that we realize God is calling us into holiness, and I'm going to speak about holiness in a minute, that God is calling us into holiness... The church begins to be empowered. We begin to see a people who can stand in the kingdom and flow through the kingdom to see this forwarded into what Paul's saying. Turn over a page to 1 Thessalonians 4 for me. I hope this is not too harsh and I, I, I don't want it to sound like a, a, a whip crack but I, I want us to come to a position where it's before us and we get to choose whether we want it or not because I, I think that when we come forward and sing songs I, I love the song but when we sing songs like my heart's abandoned but then we get upset when we have to decide whether the habitual practice that we're in is a kingdom practice or a worldly practice we get a little bit upset pretty quickly if we can't stand with each other and start to realize that these things for us or against us and be honest with ourselves and with each other then we aren't stepping forward as a church as a community of people because Paul doesn't pull punches in this verse 1 Thessalonians 4 1 to 12 he says this finally then brothers we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in the matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregard this, disregard not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on nobody. Paul is calling the people, there was a, an understanding that they were, the, Mas the, the Thessalonians were, calling on the richer brothers and sisters to pay for them to, to 
to do nothing. That's why he says to work with your own hands. He, he was calling them to, to be accountable for their faith, to be accountable for who they are, to live as God has instructed them. But he says something in there that it's, that it's concerning their sanctification. Sanctification is the act of living out the kingdom, purifying our soul, or consecrating, declaring or setting apart as sacred ourselves before God. Justification is the declaration of a person being just or righteous in the eyes of a system or person. It's a legal term that signifies acquittal. When we were saved, we were justified by Christ. Right? He acquitted us. The legal term acquitted means that all the wrongs doing have no more say. So if you think about a courtroom, when, when, when we stood before the Father, the, the enemy, Satan, if you will, or, or the deceiver on one side, he says, Ben, come forward. These are your list of sins. And Christ says, I have acquitted him of these. I have justified him. I have paid for these things. They are no more, right? We are absolutely wholly justified in him. That's what allows us to join in with Christ and Christ into us. But we now live our, our Christian life walking towards sanctification, right? Which is the, the purifying or consecrating of ourselves, setting ourselves apart from the world before God. So when we are living our life, we're sanctifying ourselves and we're saying, I no longer want to sin. I no longer, and I've, I've spoken through the words of sin, uh, the, the difference between the words, but I no longer want to be in sin and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm consecrating myself before the Lord. I'm cleansing myself in the fact of who I really am, which is justified. My body and my soul, my mind and emotions, I am aligning with my spirit man, which, is, has, which has been justified, which has been acquitted before God. Does that make sense? So in, in us, we have been completely made whole, yet we live a life purifying or consecrating ourselves. What happened during worship is what we must be doing regularly as a people, coming before him and saying, Lord, take all of me that's not of you. But I want to finish with this. It speaks of, he speaks of holiness. A word that we use so often, and I was sitting down this week just praying through it, and I was realized we don't have, I didn't have a very good understanding of the word holiness. We see holiness all through the New Testament, Testament rather. Uh, Luke 1, in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. Romans 1, we declare to be the Son of God and the power according to spirit of holiness by resurrection of the dead uh, by Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Ephesians 4, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness in holiness. 1 Thessalonians, to be blameless in holiness before our God. 1 Thessalonians, uh, his own body in holiness and honor. It goes on and on. Hebrews, worship an earthly place of holiness. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 2 Peter, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And I started to wonder, Lord, what is holiness? And as I was praying through this, God dropped a... a Probably the most memorable place of holiness in the Old Testament. Moses comes before the burning bush. And God says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And as I was reading it, I was thinking through, that's interesting. He's in the presence of the Lord and God asks him to take his shoes off. But later in Exodus, when he comes to the Mount Sinai, he meets the Father. And he, he wants to, to peer upon him and he hides between the cleft and the rock. 
God doesn't tell him to take his shoes off. Why? Why was one ground holy and the other not? And I want to put it to you that when, when Moses was standing before the fiery bush, he says, Moses, this is holy ground. Take off your shoes. What does God give Moses? He gives him his life's work. He says, Moses, go back into Egypt and set my people free. He says, take off your sandal, Moses, as a sign. Uh, the, the shoes meant your, your message, what you would carry. Right? That's why Jesus says, beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel. Because it's the thing that allows us to bring something forth. It's our, our, life's, our life's calling, where we're being called to go. God says to Moses, take off your shoes. Present to me, Moses, your sandals, your life's work before me. Because it's holy ground. Your life, Moses, is my world. Who you are, Moses, is my world. Give me your shoes. And then when he meets Jesus, sorry, when he meets the Father at the top of Mount Sinai, he doesn't have to take his shoes off because it was in some ways the completion of his work. I want to put it to you that holiness is our life's work in Christ. When, When God is asking us to be holy before him, he's not asking us to go home to find the sins we've missed for that day and to repent for them and then never do them again. He's asking us in in absolute fullness to say, will you then follow me exactly where I've called you? See, Jesus was the example of holiness because he did only what he saw the Father do. He spoke only what he heard the Father do. He completed the work of God in, in who he was. When it says that we must operate in the fullness of holiness, it does mean to clean yourself up. I'm not taking away from that. If you're stuck in habitual sin, if you're stuck in something that is taking away from your life and you can't get out, speak to somebody. Come away from it. If it's hurting you, if you can really honestly look at your life and it's hurting you, come away from it. But I truly believe that the fullness of operating in God's holiness is what has he called you to do? Who has he called you to be? Moses, take off your shoes. Give me your shoes. Give me your walk. Give me where you're going. Our call to holiness is not to be good boys and girls. Our call to holiness is obedience in Christ and laying down the idols of our it's permissible and picking up the call of it's beneficial. What you have in your life, you are better to lean toward beneficial than permissible. But the only person who can truly say that, I laugh when people come to me and say, Ben, what do you think the Bible says about this? Can I do this? I think you're already lost. It's, we, don't, we don't even need to talk about that one thing you'd like to do that's obscure and odd. Because you've actually missed the point. If we can learn to be a people who truly understands the core and the heart of God, truly understands where he's leading us, then I promise as a church in this city, in this nation and the nations, we will start to come into what God has for us. Hey, Shani, can you grab Jess with me? And just let the kids come back in. Does that make sense? I was going to break down the Greek word and get a little bit fancy, but I just don't think we need that. I think the simplicity of the gospel of Christ, the simplicity of following God is really this. Learn how to hear his voice and do exactly as he says. That's holiness. If you want to wonder whether or not I'm in holiness or I'm in God, are you doing what he asks you to do? 
Are you doing the last thing he asked you to do? Cool. Jess is here. Fantastic. Over the last part of December and into January, we this house has been prophesied over quite a few times. And Jess and I personally, and we've had people who we walk with say big things about this community. And that has been challenging for me and exciting for me at the same time but navigating what this looks like and how we do that has been a challenge but there's been a word that has come for us many times Ario and Paul Tothill gave me and and this house this word just before Christmas and the word has been really simple that this year will be a year of birthing that we are coming into birthing something in God we are coming into a season that that he he is bringing something from this community and during the week, I was on a phone call with some friends who live in the States who are currently in their third year at Bethel's uh, School of Supernatural Ministry. And on the call, and I haven't spoken to them for quite a while, on the call, um, Hannah had said to me, she said, Ben, I just quickly feel like, like you're in a season of birthing. You're in a season of, of something coming from, from you and Jess and your ministry and, and, and what you're doing. And I said to her, well, that's, that's quite interesting because I've had that word two times before. And she said to me something that was quite interesting. She said, you know, oftentimes a word can be both spiritual and natural, that it can carry a, a natural um, understanding as well as a supernatural understanding. And this, this ministry, this church has been incredibly marked by birth the whole way that we have entered into this. When when, our communi- uh, when Crossing Point and Set Free Ministries, when they merged together, both Sean and Coco and Jeremy and Adriana were pregnant and both had, had boys at that time, River and Jonathan. Then when Jess and I were coming into being prayed on as elders and our community was um, coming away from the, the old model and, and establishing itself, both Jeremy and, and Adriana and Sean and Coco had end. Tim and Taryn all had kids in that time. We, that big shift in the, in the church was marked again by birth. And then when we moved into the community centre at the beginning of last year, Shana Coco, mate, they, they just, they're just out there putting the kids, <laughs> just churning them out. Um, they had Zion, right? And look, you guys know the fact that I love I don't love the airy fairiness of, I believe wholeheartedly in the supernatural, I believe in prophecy, but I, sometimes I find it hard to, to draw some of the dots that we create. But this one has been pretty simple, it's been hard to ignore. So coming into this next season, obviously John and Morgan, who aren't here at the moment, because I think she's out of, Morgan's out of hospital, but no. Please pray for, please pray for John and Morgs. Morgs is okay, but she's in the hospital at the moment. But they are currently pregnant uh, with a, a child as well. And in this season, Jess and I are also pregnant. Well, I'm not, but Jess certainly is. So we, we are 13 weeks, 14 weeks. And it is an exciting, scary... <laughs> nerve-wracking time even just going to the small amount of appointments we've been to i've felt like i'm well out of my depth but that's god right that's the beauty of this journey but we feel in this in this season that we have been 
asking God, Lord, what does this look like? Where are we headed? How do we do this? What do we do? Do we keep on this journey? Do we, do we, you know, I just, in me, everything in me wants us to be going somewhere. I don't, if it was just all of us, but there's discipleship, we are, our lives are changing. We are coming away from our habits and moving into what's beneficial. There's fruit in our life. Then, then there's excitement and joy in that. And that's why the line of messaging I feel God giving me to preach is to, for all of us to be discipled. To, to keep going with God, to keep taking that step. So when, the, when the, a prophecy comes, like, like there is a, a birth coming in, in this community, and clearly it is in the natural, but I also believe it's in the supernatural. And do I know what that looks like? No, I don't. Does it look like people flooding through the doors? I don't know. Does it look like us going to places we've never been? I hope so. Does it look like healings and, and, and manifestations of the Spirit of like we've seen in, in Acts, I hope so. Does it look like things we've never seen before? I hope so. But I don't know. But what I do know is that God has called us and we must be steadfast in our hope of Christ. So we are going into this journey of the next season excited, somewhat eyes closed and <laughs> swinging our sword into the, into the wilderness. But we feel like God is calling us and standing with us. So I want to encourage all of you. God has called you to such a time as this. And I don't just mean this house. I, I, I mean this house if that's true for you. But not just this house, but this season, this, this city, this time that every one of us, every one of you in this room is important in this city and in this nation and in the nations. All of you carry what God needs you to carry to fulfill your sphere and what he has for you in that. But I want to challenge you, don't take, don't stay with the status quo, don't stay with the habits, don't stay with what is permissible. Look for what is beneficial. Look for what brings the kingdom. Ask yourself, is this bringing the kingdom? God, is this thing in my life, is it bringing your kingdom? Is it bringing the fruits of the Spirit? If not, you need to lay it down. If you can't lay it down, talk to somebody. Come and talk to me, to Jess, to somebody you trust and say, hey, I can't lay this down. I need help. Does that make sense? Yep. Why don't you stand? Let us pray. Let us pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this community. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you are doing in our midst, God. Lord, I thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote this challenge to us, who continued to lead through absolute conflict. God, I thank you that we can glean from his life, that we can glean from the things that he's given us. Jesus, I thank you that you called him and led him. God, I thank you that you continually speak to us, that you open our eyes regularly to reveal your kingdom. God, help us to lay down our habits. Help us, God, to lay down the things that maybe are permissible but aren't beneficial. Lord, help us to seek the benefits of your kingdom. Help us to seek the things that you have for us. Help us to step in such a way, God, that reveals your kingdom to all of those around us. Lord, may we be image bearers of you. May we carry your sweet aroma into every place that we go. May we reveal your kingdom, Lord. 
You are the great King in whom we serve. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. We glorify your name. Thank you, Lord. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.